Welcome to the Ephesiology Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the study of the early Christian movement and its implications for the church today. Welcome again to our Make Disciples podcast series, where we aim to help understand what is a disciple, how do we grow as disciples, and what are specific characteristics of disciples. Today we are joined with Michael, our resident ephesiologist. I'm Andrew Johnson, associate pastor at Neartown Church in Houston, Texas, and we are joined by Rob Kelly founder and CEO of the Four Charlotte Network, co-founder of the City Leaders Collective with Eric Swanson, and co-author of the book Metanoia with Alan Hirsch. Rob, thank you so very much for joining us today on the Ephesiology Podcast. Awesome. Thanks, Andrew. It's good to be here. So, Rob, uh, for those who are not familiar with you, um, and the flowery intro was not enough, uh, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and maybe an important thing or two? that people, if they really knew you, they would know these things. Yeah, it's such a pleasure to be here. And um, as you said, I um, I, I guess 12 years ago started uh, the Four Charlotte Network, and we really, um, you know, connect pastors and churches in Charlotte for personal church and city renewal. Uh, so we do a lot of work to to bring the church of the city together. Um, it's it's a large meta network structure. Um, so, um, you know, we have uh, tomorrow, actually, we're launching our 26th network. We have uh, about 410 churches, about 1200 leaders that meet regularly across our network platform in our city. Uh, a number of years ago, uh, Eric Swanson, uh, a dear friend and mentor, came to me and said, Rob, you know, there's city movements, city networks doing this work all over the place. What would it look like for us to really he's been he's been connecting and, and coaching them for 20 years. And uh, we've had a group going up to Colorado that 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 uh, for about the last decade um, where we get city movement leaders uh, up at this awesome ranch up in Colorado. And he said, well, Rob, what would it look like for us to really invest time in, in coaching and raising up these kind of city network or city movement leaders? And so for the last couple of years, we've been doing that and formalize the city leaders collective. Um, we have about 70 cities that we work with across North America, wow. uh, about hmm. 50 in the States and 20 in uh, in Canada um, and and then a number of others outside North America, but mostly mostly North America, um, really uh, kind of connecting and equipping uh, these leaders uh, for uh, Christ's mission and the flourishing of the city that that God has uh, um, uh, has them in and and so uh, it's very exciting work. I love it. I think if you want to know about me, I'm a really true believer in this work. Mm -hmm. I, I, Sounds I, like I it. Deeply, I deeply love it. Um, and I know we're going to dig into some of the kind of the foundations of it uh, as we talk today. Um, I'm, I'm married to Ani, uh, who's an amazing, much better person than me. We have two great kids, Addison and RJ, and uh, fifth grade, first grade. And um, yeah, we uh, we live in Charlotte. We love it. And it's our home. And um, I'm so grateful that, that God has us here to to do this work. Well, we're grateful, Rob, that you're coming yeah. on to talk about unity and mission. Mm -hmm. And what, you know, when, when we were thinking about this topic and we were pitching it out to a number of people, I am so glad that you chose it because, I mean, the things that you're doing in Charlotte, uh, it, it just breathes the importance of being united on mission. Mm -hmm. And so I'm excited to hear and 
and for all of us to glean something about why this is so important for disciples. Awesome. Rob, you, before we got on, Mike, uh, were wanting to be very clear. Um, you are doing a lot of things uh, that people, especially on, on paper, it would be like, wow, the church is united on mission there in Charlotte. Isn't this wonderful? Um, but it might be helpful to roll that back and say, okay, so what does actually, what does it mean to be, to unite on mission? What are some of the underpinnings? So um, as I am want to do, uh, I, I love to define a good term. What does it mean for you as you are understanding kind of those theological underpinnings of unity on mission? Yeah, I think um, oftentimes people think, they think of unity in more pragmatic terms. It's like, if we can just get a bunch of people uh, locking arms, uh, we can get more done. And that's, that's not wrong. Um, it is actually, it's actually true, but it's, it's so much richer than that. And I think to really understand um, why unity and mission is important, we need to understand where our unity lies. And this is the, the this is the real importance here is for that. It's like a super quick trip to the upper room, right? This is the last night Jesus would have with his disciples, you know, and, you know, from John 13 to 17, you have these amazing five red lettered chapters, right? That, that, mm -hmm. you know, Jesus, it's his last time to, to speak into um, those he was closest with in his earthly life and ministry, right? He washes their feet. They take the last supper, tell Judas to leave. You know, now he's left there with the 11 and Jesus bookends the upper room with the exact same teaching. John 13, 34 and 35, one new command I give you, love one another. <clears throat> By this, the world will know you're my disciples if you love one another, right? This is this, um, there's this, if, by the, if you want a clarity statement to the Great Commission, you just got one, mm -hmm. right? Just, mm -hmm. The Great Commission is to go and make disciples. Jesus kind of just told you how to do it. You know, love one another, the world will know. John 14, 15, 16, 17, now Jesus prays for his disciples. And then at the end of that chapter, we have this amazing high priestly prayer, which I would actually call the Lord's Prayer. I think the prayer he teaches us to pray in Matthews is, actually, is in, in Matthews. Uh, is the disciples prayer. And this mm -hmm. is the, the, the Jesus prayed for, you know, that he says, Father, I pray not only for them talking about the disciples, but I pray for all those who would believe in me through their message. Now, Jesus is praying for us, anyone who believes in the message of the apostles. And what's that message? And we know this true, but it's just like, let's say it, that they may be one. Mm. You, Father, are in me and I in you. May they be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory you've given to me, I've given to them that they may be one, even as we are one, I and them, you and me says it a third time. Now, may they be perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you've loved me. And this is so important three times in that prayer. And just those three verses alone, Jesus prays for the oneness of the church. And he says where that oneness comes from. Verse 21, may they be in us where the Trinity Somehow, as even Paul would say in Colossians 3, that somehow we are hidden with Christ in God. We have been brought into the oneness mm. of the Godhead. We are those who've been united to Christ have become one with him in spirit. So we somehow, in our union with Jesus, have been brought into the eternal reality of the Godhead, this amazing mm. word the early church fathers called perichoresis, this this divine dance of love that we have been brought into. And then and that's so. Our oneness reflects the the nature of the God that we've been created in the image of. Mm -hmm. And so once you realize the reality of our oneness, 
once you realize that it's rooted in the God head, the God that we worship, the God that we've been created in the image of, like operating in that unity becomes a requirement. It becomes, uh, it, it's not an, it's no longer an option not to be, right? And so therefore the question really becomes, what does it look like for the church to operate in the oneness that Jesus both prayed for and commanded in the upper room? And to me, that's the fun part, actually. Now you're actually <laughs> saying, okay, we're, it's not about trying to be one. We're actually already one. We've been united. It's a reality mm-hmm. in which we operate. Now, this is why Paul would say, um, make every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit, mm-hmm. right? We have, it's like, we already have the unity of the spirit. Nothing we to achieve some already. Yeah. yeah. We just don't do a very good job of maintaining it. So now it's like, how do we actually help the church of Jesus live that out? And the way we think about it is how you help them live that out in the context of the church of the city, which, by the way, is the most common expression of the church in the New Testament. I find it super interesting that, you know, local house churches are only named four times in the New Testament. Gaius, Archippus, Nymphus, Priscilla, and Aquila. The city church is everywhere. It's like, I think it's like 38 times just in the book of Acts alone. There's a lot of other local churches that are talked about, but actually named. Then you have a third of the New Testament written to the church of a city. You have uh, the seven letters in Revelation. It's like, what does it actually look like for the one church of the city to operate in the oneness that Jesus prayed for and commanded. And that's where we really start thinking, what are the healthy systems? And, you know, as, as my friend Alan Hirsch talks about the organic systems, the network systems of the church, how do they actually start to work together? And, um, and so, yeah, you can't, again, going back to your question, you can't do this work just at a pragmatic level. You have to understand both the theological doctrinal foundations and roots of this work, because once those are clear, it empowers the work itself. And so maybe I'll, I'll leave there and we can, we can kind of, kind of, well, I, I'm ready to close. I think we I seriously, here, Andrew. I mean, this oh, was my great. Gosh. Yeah. I mean, that theological foundation, biblical foundation is so important, but, and you hit on this, uh, that, that Paul was saying that we're to maintain the unity and the spirit. Why is that so difficult for us? Do you think? terrible at it. <laughs> I know it, it seems that way, but why, why is that? Is it just yeah. our human penchant to be divisive? Is it spiritual warfare? Is it, it what, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, you know, we have an adversary who's really good at what he does. Um, and I mean, you know, his name, uh, you know, the root of his name literally means a uh, divider accuser, like, right. Mm-hmm. This is the, um, um, and so where his work is to divide the spirit's work is to unite, right. This is over and over again, we see, um, and, um, because, and it's so interesting too, you know, that the church is, you know, arguably one of the most divided institutions, um, in, in the world. Um, we divide over everything, you know, I think, uh, Secondary theology, uh, worship style, practice, preference, right? Uh, you know, lately Christian ethics. You know what you believe about. You know, um, you know how to live, and you know uh, marriage, and all these. There's so many different things that the that that we divide over, and um, we look. It, 
we look right past the fact that we're already one. And so yeah, I find it interesting too, you know, Paul, you could summarize all of Pauline theology probably mm-hmm. in, in two words, like in Christ, in him 164 times, just, just mm-hmm. Paul, like, which is a direct reference to our union with Christ. Like this is the oneness that we have in the person of Jesus. And if that's, um, you know, if that's right, then I believe it is, then it shouldn't be any, uh, I guess, uh, uh, shock that our first ministry, Paul would say, in Christ is the ministry and message of reconciliation. If you are in Christ, if you've been made one in Christ, uh, you're a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. And then verses eighteen, nineteen, in that in Second Corinthians five, you've been given both the ministry and message of reconciliation. Right. This is a this is like central to this work. It's like the first work, if you, if you want to put it in that sense. And so oftentimes the those of us in christian leadership are trying to always figure out how do we help bring to reconcile to to unite that which the world and the evil one are constantly dividing which is just mm-hmm. constant and in a world that's so polarized fragmented divided siloed it's like how do we actually help the world see this oneness that jesus you know prayed for this oneness that he commanded this oneness that is a reality because in that and this is where it does become actually i'm gonna go back on what i said earlier it becomes <laughs> pregnant because in yeah, our yeah. oneness this is where it is pragmatic the world will see what i would argue uh, are the two greatest truths of all time that jesus is so clear on this point that may they be one so that that's a henna clause in greek right the, the, mm-hmm. the, that's your mm-hmm. that's your purpose yeah, clause yeah. Uh, this is so that um what the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you love me, so that in our oneness, the world will know that the incarnation of Jesus Christ is true. And that this is the real game-changing, earth-shattering, eternity-changing truth that the Father loves them. Mm. The Father loves them. And not just with the same type of love, not just with the same amount of love, but in verse 26, John 17, he says, but with the exact same love that he loves his one and only son. That, that right now, this is the, a beautiful truth when people realize that when, even when you look at the baptism of Jesus and the spirit descends like a dove and you hear the voice of the father speak out over his son saying, this is my son whom I love in whom I'm well pleased. Well, you've been united to that son. And those words are the words of the father over you. And like when people realize that type of love that has been loving God loving himself within eternity from eternity past is brought on you. It just changes people's lives. And that's where like it, that's why our unity and mission becomes so central because it's by Jesus's own words, it's far and away the greatest declaration of the gospel. This incredibly good news that God has loved us to the world. It's the greatest declaration of the gospel. And so um, it's, it's so powerful. And that's why it has to be central to our work um, um, in a in a world in a church that's so deeply divided. Okay, so this is what's popping into my mind. As a pastor, I have the absolute sheer joy of doing premarital counseling uh, often, and uh, walk couples through. And one of the things that we I end up talking with every couple through is is the idea of uh, not existing within the marriage to seek their own satisfaction that one of the biggest and most important parts of marriage, which is also the riskiest is to not fight for yourself, but to serve your spouse Mm. and to to seek their good. And, and I always tell couples, this is the goal. 
And this is also not a guarantee that your your spouse will also risk and lay down themselves in the same manner. And that is the essence of love, is that there is this laying down and trusting the person you are married, that they will love you and seek you and honor you as you love them and seek them and honor them. And and in that, that, that greatest expression of love will be lived out. And so why this is coming to mind, Rob, what happens then when I risk my wants or what I think is best for the church and I come to a brother or sister or I come to another pastor or ministry leader and I risk and I open my hands and say, okay, not my will, but his will. What 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 control do I have? <laughs> what control do I have that the other person will also say, and I too will lay down my wants and what I think is best. And we will together say, it's going to be Jesus way and we will be united in him. What, what happens there, Rob? How, how do we, how do we move forward in that risky, risky way that you are painting so beautifully? Well, I mean, control, mm-hmm. you have none. Uh, mm-hmm. risk, you have all, uh, could you be hurt? <laughs> Absolutely. Oftentimes you will be. I mean, that's just the world that we know we live in, you know, deep, true reconciliation, you know, requires both sides uh, to, you know, there's a repentance and a forgiveness that must take take place, you know, for that to to transpire. I think it's interesting to use the marriage uh, illustration. Um, that's what Paul uses to talk about the unity of the church. Think of Ephesians. I know I'm talking to the yeah. podcast, <laughs> but I mean, like, I, I mean, it's funny that and what, what's, what's Paul say, though? This is so interesting. The whole book of Ephesians is so beautiful, man. It's, it, it's so amazing. He says, you know, the two shall become one flesh. And this is a profound mystery. Hmm. But he's not talking about Christ and the church, right? I mean, he's not talking about a husband and wife. He's talking right, about right. the church. Excuse me. Right. And, um, and this, this reference to this mystery of the gospel that back in Ephesians 1, he talks about is to what is to unite all things together in Christ, mm-hmm. right? He talks about Jews and Gentiles, uh, the mystery of them coming together. So mm-hmm. he, uses, uh, he uses a um, very two tangible examples of ethnicities coming together in Christ. He uses another tangible example of husband and wife coming together, but it's mm-hmm. pointing to this deeper truth, this profound mystery of this oneness in Christ, this beautiful mystery. And um, that is, it, so I think it's really helpful to use tangible examples like that, to, both of which, you know, racial ethnic division and marriage division, which are so so tangible, things that mm-hmm. we can understand in this life, mm-hmm. where people can understand the hurt and the pain and the the risk that you brought up, Andrew, that is, you're, are you going to get hurt? Yeah, probably. Like, is it going to be fun? No, it's not. Do you have control of the other side? None. No, not not at all. Um, does it mean you're not supposed to do it? No, you're absolutely called to pursue uh, that oneness. You're called to make every effort to maintain uh, this unity uh, that, that we have. And it's a painful journey. Like there's no... Um, there it's, it's not like all daisies and roses where you're just, everyone's going to immediately get it. That's just not, unfortunately in a fallen world, how things work. And so, um, but I think those examples are right. You know, you know, you know, thinking of marriage, like that's the, that's, it's hard stinking work, Mm -hmm. right? It's hard work 
you every day you have to get up and pursue it and make it a make it a priority and um racial and ethnic division in our society and every society it's such such a difficult thing it has to be a priority you have to make every effort to do it and um and in that effort somehow you you begin to operate more in the oneness that our lord jesus calls us to and that somehow when the world sees that they're like oh why are these you know why are all these uh ethnicities and races like it's blowing social scientists minds why these people from different groups uh, all that are you know typically birds of a feather flock together but why are all these people that look different that that are from different backgrounds why are they why are they together they're operating like one family it's like well because they are one family like why you know it's like and through that somehow the world will know and um it's so important yeah I I love that, Rob. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you rightly say it is hard work, but you know what? It's it's joyful work, isn't it? And and I I mean, I see just talking to you and hearing what you're you're doing down in Charlotte. um, You can see that it is hard work, but you see the joy that you are experiencing because of the hard work that uh, you're doing and and helping and others are doing and helping unite the church there. Tell us more about that work. What what do you? Give us the practical side of this. How are you seeing this uniting of mission and the things that you're doing in Charlotte and around the country and in other countries? Yeah, I think um, <laughs> we we talk a lot about like wanting to be a part of a gr- the great movement of God, and you know, p- some people would say, "Well, for Charlotte, your network's a it's a it's a, it's a great you know movement, a city movement or whatever," and and. It's not wrong, but I, I actually don't feel like I, I don't run a movement. I run a network, and I think I find I, I find it helpful to be really clear on language. Um, mm-hmm. And what do I do? We build networks, and networks um, at their best um, act like a trellis to a vineyard. Okay, it's um, a trellis is a network like a trellis. It's movemental infrastructure. A trellis okay. exists to facilitate the movement of the life of a vine across uh, across the trellis so that it can what? Bear fruit, bear good fruit. And so networks operate in the same way. Um, they're, they're movemental infrastructure. Um, they help bring the church together um, in oneness. They provide clarity of direction, like a, a trellis moves in a straight line. They provide order. Right. And so there's in, in, in a lot of chaos, um, if they're, if they're working really well, they're actually not seen very much. People don't see the network. They see the unity of the church, which is what Mm. Jesus says, the, um, you know, the greatest declaration and demonstration of the gospel. So what you mean is we need to cancel the printing of that business card uh, or or the the banners. Uh, okay. Good. So what do we do? We build networks. We build networks. Um, and we build networks and networks, um, they reflect to the, the inverse hierarchy of the kingdom. They, 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 they support like, uh, a trellis does. They serve, they, they help lift up other, uh, churches, ministries, pastors, leaders, Christian leaders, organizations to serve collaboratively. And, um, over time, they, they post networks posture you to listen because networks help what wants to happen. They help facilitate where the spirit's already moving. They help, um, uh, they help kind of unleash latent kingdom energy. When you know what the 
when you know what the church of your city wants to do, you can help position, you can help bring that church, uh, the, the churches together to, to, to do those things. And so over time, we'd be like, well, what does the church want to do? It's like, hey, we're, we have a group of pastors that tell you we're passionate about foster care. Okay. You, if you know what they're wanting to do, you can put them in a room together. Then all of a sudden we launch a network called Congregations right. for Kids. You want passionate about church multiplication. Okay. We can bring those together and and launch them out into the in, into the city. A passion, senior pastors. We have a, we have a I think ten or eleven senior pastor networks that are geographic across Greater Charlotte. It's we think it's inherently good and right that the senior shepherds in in these churches across uh, the city. We have about two hundred and seventy or eighty senior pastors in these networks that just meet regularly to pray, build relationship, build trust, and. We don't really ask them to do anything else just because over time that begins to break down walls, that they start to see the the church and the pastor across the street or down the street, not as their competition, but as their right. teammate. Mm-hmm. And then over time, they become passionate and they say, you know what, well, you have these other networks in the city and we're going to have our leaders that are appropriately connect to those networks. And now you start creating the interconnected infrastructure that sits kind of below the church uh, to to help serve and connect the church to allow the church to do what it wants to do, ideally better and together, which is what networks do. And so we have, we, we've been doing this now for 12 years. Um, again, we have, uh, we're launching our 26th network tomorrow, really excited about it. Um, I think we have 60, 65 churches that are going to be participating in this launch. Um, we have um, we have three types of networks. If you kind of want to know the architecture, we have prayer networks that meet uh, uh, meet geographically every other month. Those are open to any intercessor in the city. Um, we have about twenty intercessory ministries that we connected, and then prayer ministries from churches. Uh, they have an annual uh, uh, prayer summit uh, once a year, and the National Day of Prayer. Uh, they have their own website, PrayForCharlotte.org. Um, and then we have the senior pastor networks I mentioned, and those are, I think, 10 or 11 of those. Um, and then we have really where mission happens is through these um, through these uh, city uh, kind of affinity networks. So it's next gen pastors, church multiplication, micro church network, uh, foster care network, emergency response network, a Latino pastors, a Spanish language network, lots of Spanish language pastors um, and uh, and others. I could keep going. Uh, yeah. um, uh, wow. Mental health network that's launching anti-human trafficking, um, um, uh, disability. There's a we have a really large disability ministry network bringing churches together. People don't realize one in seven people uh, in our society has some form of disability. It's a massive mission field for the church to really love and serve those with with disabilities. And most churches aren't even thinking about it. Like it's mm-hmm. and it's an so it's a great opportunity to bring the church together on mission. And so as God brings this latent energy. Like when past when we listen to our the, our churches and our and our and our ministries, is they like, hey, we're really passionate about this. It's like, oh, well, you know what? There's 15 or 20 other people that we know of that mm-hmm. are passionate about mm-hmm. this. Let's get them in a room together, and then you watch what God does. So uh, over time, we've developed this process. We build networks, and then we build tools um, and initiatives to help unleash that. To, one of the, the biggest tool we launched uh, a couple months ago um, is called the State of Our City Platform. It's a technology we launched, and um, we could throw it in. I'm sure the show notes if people wanted to see it. But it's like a citywide platform that is to help the church of the city understand the needs of the city. So it's a data-based, uh, a data platform um, that's also got embedded stories and opportunities for the church to engage needs, stories about how churches and, and not just churches, but ministries 
any Christian leader, um, how to pray for the needs, how to engage the needs, stories of impact. And it's all in one spot. So again, it's a tool to help the church do what it wants to do better and together. And mm-hmm. so over time, we just, we be, we began to just scale networks like that. And it's, um, it's really exciting. It's super fun. Okay. Well, so we can, we can tell it's exciting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For me, this is super exciting. Um, for because I am a pastor, I am a, a leader in a city uh, connected to a lot of networks, and and this sort of thing uh, thrills me. However, Rob, uh, it feels like it's my niche, so it really excites me because this is what I think about and and pray around. What about the person who who isn't me? What about the the average person who is coming to a church. A lot of the things that I was hearing from you seem like they are on that leadership level, um, almost rather paid staff level, and not so much the person who is is coming every Sunday. How do I how how do we help those folks engage and get excited about this sort of unity? So this is such a good uh it's such a good question to be thinking about this isn't just something only for the um for the leaders of the the church it starts there and that's where those of us who lead these citywide uh networks um you you work from like light networks you you work from a place of leverage with the leaders that are um you know in churches and ministries and what have you um but really it, the important thing is to get it down to the grassroots, right? It's like, how does this become something that everyone participates in? And um, one of the most beautiful things is when, um, when pastors begin to like start talking about how their church is, you know, um, how they're friends with a pastor down the street, how they're praying for at the end of services for the church down the street, it begins to actually shift the mindset of congregants uh, in churches. And when they begin to operate and do things in the city that their church is going and serving the city uh, together with other churches, it begins to change. It's like, wow, we're not just doing this as one uh, one group. We're we're actually locking arms with other fellow believers in Christ across the city. And that's where people begin to experience, Michael, what you said earlier is like what really this this joy, this in, this inherent joy that comes from, um, you know, living out the oneness uh, that Jesus prayed for and commanded. And so, um, so it is incumbent on leaders going back to, to, um, to, to model it, to preach it, to um, architect their, uh, their uh, programs and, and how they do things as a church um, to help facilitate broader unity um, in, in the congregation, but it should be for the whole church. It can't be only for the leaders. And um, and again, that's something where, why we just in, in our, in our network, we do spend a lot of time with, with the, um, the leaders of organizations to really think through. And that's even why we did the book, a big part of the book Metanoia was, um, I realized something, um, a while ago, <laughs> um, that, um, when, when Alan asked me to participate in that book project, it's so funny because it, it really, um, it kind of emphasized this thing that, that probably three or four years ago, it, it hit me that if we do our job perfectly in Charlotte, if we do our job perfectly, then we might get maybe 1% of a pastor's time, maybe one. And so it's like, what do we need to do? We need to actually help shift the mindset. And what is a metanoia? It's, it 
we translate it as repentance, but it has more to do with shifting the paradigm. It's a paradigm shift. Meta, above, beyond, overarching, noia mm-hmm. comes from the Greek root nous, mind. So it's shifting a, re- a reorientation of the mindset. And that is what has to happen in leaders. And one of the biggest mindset shifts that can happen is this shift from a, what I would call a small C church paradigm to a big K kingdom paradigm, that mm-hmm. you're part of one big church in your city, that one uh, that you're part of the church. And when people realize that, when they've come to realize that, man, I'm part of something bigger in my city, that there's not a thousand churches in your city, there's one church in your city that just has many beautiful, diverse expressions. And Mm -hmm. that I begin to actually see my brothers and sisters in Christ that are part of other churches uh, or organizations or whatever uh, you're working with. When you begin to see that that oneness and actually live it out. It's there's a joy. We talk about in the book, this joy of metanoia, this joy that comes with God, this new revelation, this new, it's an aha moment. It's an eye-opening moment. And that's something that we need in everyone, not just in, not just in the senior leaders. It needs to be in everyone. And, and, and it's beautiful when people realize they've been brought into the oneness of the God that we worship, they're united to Christ. It's, there's life there. There's one, it's beauty. It's beautiful. So that is incredible. I feel my mind has been stretched and, and my heart has been challenged. Um, I mean, there were moments where I was like, do I need to turn off the camera? I might cry. Um, because I'm just so encouraged by what you have brought and how you have brought God's word to life, uh, for us. Um, I'm so thankful for you, Rob. And, uh, for those who are like, I really enjoyed um, that bite that Rob has given me. And I would like to take a few more bites uh, with Rob. Where can our listeners find you, continue to interact with um, what God is doing in and through you and for Charlotte and the City Leaders Collective, et cetera, et cetera? Sure. Um, so obviously our um, website uh, for charlotte.org um, is you can kind of see some of the things that we're doing locally. Uh, the city leaders org website is launching hopefully next month. It's in process right now. Hey, uh, so um, that is a, it's really fun. That's been a fun project. We were, you know, we've actually had this network for a long time. We've only codified it as its own organization this last year. And so we're at that point of actually just now uh, launching uh, that website. Um, that if they want to, um, uh, metanoia-book actually has a little bit more about the book uh, that that we did. If people want to learn there, of course, you can get it on Amazon or, or wherever you buy books as well. Um, and so if that there's a, there's a lot of um, kind of this thought and theology that we talk about in the book. And we try to get really more practical uh, in the book, too. The first half, really, Alan d- dives deep into the, uh, the the theology the undergirding theology of 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 metanoia and, and and the gift that it is to the church and then uh in the second half of the book is really where i dig more into how to apply those that theology to either the church or organization that you lead and so there's i think so if you're interested in some of this this thought it'll um it is captured in in, in the book the project itself and so uh yeah well man thank you so much for joining us today um and you our listeners thank you for joining us today in this next installment in our make disciples series so if you want to continue to lean into what god is doing uh, in you through a physiology we invite you to join us at physiology.com 
or go and take one of our Ephesiology Masterclasses. Go to masterclasses.ephesiology.com. So for Michael, for Rob, and for myself, thanks for doing theology and community with us today on the Ephesiology Podcast.